0: Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators, and advisors, discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations, and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social, and governance factors. Welcome to today's episode of Leadership Conversations. I am Helena Koyanstochter and I am a project manager at the Sustainability Board Report, also known as TSBR. And today I am joined with Frederick Otto, the founder of TSBR. We had the honor to speak with Ravi Chowdhury for today's episode, and I believe our listeners will thoroughly enjoy Ravi's take on what it means to be a sustainable leader and the role of corporations in today's society.
1: Yes, Helen, I was really privileged speaking to Ravi, and I just wanted to quickly explain how we met. Ravi and I are both fellows of Salzburg Global Seminar, which is a fantastic not-for-profit organization whose mission is to challenge current and future leaders to shape a better world. And they function in different work streams. And Ravi and I are part of the Corporate Governance Forum. Most of the fellows there are very accomplished legal scholars. There are a lot of board directors, also people from the investor community, leadership advisors. And the the meetings are often very granular about how can we change regulation and policy to hold business more accountable? What are the mechanisms that we need for business to do better and to achieve the sustainable future that we want? And Ravi always manages to bring the conversation back to a very human level and to talk about this notion of care and really the capacity of every individual to bring about change and to drive sustainable business. And I very much enjoy his narrative. And um, so I was speaking to him after one of those meetings and thought it would be great to have him on the podcast. And he happily joined us, of course. But Helena let me ask you what was your favorite piece of the conversation.
0: Yeah, Frederick, I agree with everything you've just said about Ravi and sort of his approach and the way he speaks about responsible leadership. But I think it's important to understand, you know, that he is on a sort of a life mission as he said to do whatever he can to promote sustainable leadership. And I also enjoyed hearing about his stance on recognizing corporations in society and where they need to take responsibility you know they're not a standalone unit they really you know require the support of everything around them and therefore they are responsible and he has an interesting take on many things including what corporate social responsibility has evolved into um, so i think our listeners will like yet again really enjoy this conversation
1: on today's episode of leadership conversations a podcast by the sustainability board report we welcome an icon of global business and highly regarded leadership guru. Ravi Chowdhury is an author, speaker, and strategy advisor to corporate CEOs and boards. He's a fellow of the World Business Academy and the Founder-Chairman of Cnext Consulting Group. And of course, Ravi was chairman of the Indian conglomerate Tata Group Companies. Ravi, welcome to our podcast, and thanks so much for taking the time today. I was wondering if you can get started and tell us a little bit more about your background, your leadership journey, and the current work that you are doing.
2: Thank you very much, Frederick, for having me here. You are doing amazing work, and, and I consider it a privilege to have this opportunity of a very frank and forthright conversation with you. As you mentioned, working with the Tata Group helped me refine and catapult my ens- esp- beliefs into convictions that it is possible absolutely possible for businesses to do well and do and be good at the same time in fact it's easier than otherwise not to do so the transition from a career with the tatas to my own consulting practice was driven by my eagerness to be entrepreneurial as well as to spread widely the message of how business should be done. I was influenced by Willis Harman, co-founder of World Business Academy, when he said that the dominant institution in any society needs to take responsibility for the whole, like the church in the Holy Roman Empire, kings and tribal chiefs in the Middle Ages, and now, since the last decades of the 20th century, the corporation has acquired the dominant power and resources. But this is not neither understood nor accepted by the majority of corporate leaders. And we are all witnessing helplessly a shocking reality that business objectives and society's needs tend to be like the two tracks of a railway line. Looking ahead from any point, they appear to converge in the distance. In reality, they never do. It's a mirage. This is what led to my writing the book I chose to call Quest for Exceptional Leadership, Mirage to Reality. That's when I set myself the life mission to do whatever I can To promote sustainable leadership. And I I, I was uh, delighted and uh, must uh, uh, say it with a great applause, is also the prime mission of your organization. So I thought maybe worthwhile spending a moment or two on what do we mean by sustainable leadership. I have a very simple criteria. If I keep doing what I do, And if everyone else also keeps doing what I do, will the world get better or worse? Maybe today or maybe tomorrow. The first barrier to answering this question is, why should I be worried about the world? It's for the governments to take care of the world. This typical 50-year-old Milton Friedman doctrine is debt. You can no longer refuse to recognize that the corporation is not a standalone participant in a free for all system, but a responsible entity that owes its existence to the society in which it functions. It must therefore discharge a primary role in sustaining and advancing the system that gives it life and make it more inclusive and relevant for all. Quite rightly, people invariably speak about the four major problems the world faces today. One, existential threat from climate change. Two, rampant inequality. Three, a financial structure laden with unbridled risk. And four, disruption potential of new technologies. But I believe, and I'm saying it very consciously, that the real threat the world faces is from the CEOs and corporate boards who refuse to accept the new ground reality. They are the biggest liability in our planet today.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I could not agree more with what you are saying. I believe, however, that we are probably both converts of executive and board leaders having to cater to the societal needs. So I wonder if we can expand a little bit on that notion. And I found a quote from you. You were saying that there needs to be a giant leap forward from CSR to SRC. That is from corporate social responsibility to a socially responsible corporation. Now, most people might think, well, isn't that exactly the same? So could you expand a little bit on that notion and explain what that exactly means and what the differences are?
2: Yes, this is a great uh, issue you have raised, and I think uh, it touches the, the, the real nerve of what the society is experiencing today. Corporate social responsibility has come to mean an offside work. We want to continue to make money as we do, but we'll do a few things so which we can talk about so that people don't start looking into how we make money. And this is more like a corporate cosmetic hype, a play with words. When I say SRC, it basically means a socially responsible corporation, which considers itself accountable to society. It's about responsible entrepreneurship. It's about making sure that you are creating a work ethic which does not stop at generating profits for shareholders, but extends well beyond to generate positive societal impact. How do we do that? People ask me, obviously. I, I say that, look, basically, it means you have to take a 720-degree view. Let me explain what I mean by that. We all live under the same sky, but each of us has a limited view of the horizon. Some CEOs and boards may say they have a 60-degree view, 90-degree view, 180-degree view. But those who are overconfident say, well, we have taken almost a 360 view and this is how we are proceeding. Now, my contention is that the views that you have taken are from your perspective and from your shoes and your viewpoint. But every decision you make and every action you take has a conscious or an unconscious impact on the periphery, on the society, on the nature, on the unrepresented masses, you are not worried about. So, the concept of a socially responsible corporation mandates that you put yourself into the shoes of the other rest of the world and take another 360 degree view from their perspective. So, if you actually take a 720 degree view, now you are a bright person if you have reached the CEO level and you're representing director of a board, you will still take a decision which will help you make money and still be acceptable with no criticism whatsoever. So you will truly become a sustainable leader with a sustainable lifespan for your corporation. And this is how I look forward to the the new uh, leadership. But I always also say that this is not about philanthropy. This is not about doing good to others. That time is over. It's now for your sheer survival. If you don't listen to the message today, you will be the last man standing like the codex of the world. And this societal change, we are unable to come to grips with. This is the trilemma that we face. And we have to work on it. You are doing amazing work too bring about awareness of this. And and I think we continue to do more of it.
1: I, I want to quickly pick up on one point that you made about this is not about philanthropy. And yet again, I could not uh, agree more. I was on a call with uh, the CEO of a um, large American company a couple of months ago. And he said it was a he. There is not enough money in philanthropy to tackle the societal issues that we have. Another um, advisor I've spoken to said, you don't need a sustainability strategy, you need a sustainable business strategy. But if we now look at individual leaders again, how does their leadership approach have to change on a day-to-day basis over the next, say, 10 years And where might we already see that playing out in the present?
2: Excellent question. And I think uh, you and I would have a similar view on it, that the change will come about when the CEOs and the boards realize how organizations are changing. The organization structure, the organizational uh, work style, the organization lifespans, they are undergoing a change. Since Frederick Taylor, 100 years ago, promoted scientific management, the leadership believed that organizations function like machines. So they are predictable and they are controllable. Then, about a quarter century ago, we started having a new organizational paradigm in which organizations function like living organisms. We treat them with sensitivity and compassion and respect. And this though quite a few CEOs are beginning to to exercise this choice, the majority still don't even recognize this because change is so rapid. And right now, we are moving into another paradigm of organizational change. Organizations are becoming like streams, always in a flow. These streams can overwhelm us. To thrive in them, we need fluidity of ideas, identities, knowledge, and create a a confluence of technology, biology, and all the knowledge that we have. Basically, this means occasionally sacrificing efficiency for resilience. Now, this is what I see is happening in terms of the trigger which will bring about change. But what is holding it back? And that is that, I made a cup of coffee just before our talk, mixed some sugar in it, but it wasn't sweet, I noticed. That is because I hadn't stirred it. So only when I stirred it, I could taste the sugar. The situation with CEOs and boards is that they get continuous input from others, but these don't get absorbed into their thought stream. They believe in prejudices and biases of the past and refuse to acknowledge because they think they know answers to all the questions. They don't realize that all the questions have changed. The answers that you are no longer relevant. So I think as this realization comes and as more and more instances come of CEOs who change start doing better. Companies that respond to societal expectations become more respectable brands and they continue to make not less, but more profit for not short time, but a longer term. So I I think the main thing which will drive this change is the, the social media which we are using today to strengthen ourselves we cannot take for granted that the five billion people in the world who are not a part of the growth phase will accept poverty as a destiny the time for that is over so if we don't change we'll be forced to change so might as well do it willingly rather than being forced so i'm positive
1: that's great to hear certainly and and i really like the coffee analogy We are bombarded every day with so much information, but really activating that information is a different story, of course. I very recently had a few discussions around having the consciousness of issues, but then also have the competence of acting on these issues. So on that, let me ask you, you are obviously known for giving advice to very senior people, Would you like to talk about what projects you have in the pipeline to further advance this or how you usually convey these issues to the leaders and how you activate their consciousness to act on what we have been discussing today?
2: Thanks for asking my favorite question. (laughs) Because, you know, I just designed and working with a few organizations in USA and Europe on my new program to leverage reality to reshape your future. And uh, the introductory program is for about two hours for CEOs and corporate boards. They can come from one company or they can come from a group, but I have a special version of it, uh, which is for independent board directors. And And I think they are the underutilized resource we have today in accelerating the change we are seeking. So the program primarily deals with the issues that why is it that we resent the reality? We see the new reality, but we resent it. And we end up having not the future we can have, but the future we will encounter by default. So the only way to do so and understand the ground realities to enable you to shape your own future is to experience an unbiased real time awareness of what is happening around. And we talk of the three trajectories of technology, society, and geopolitics. Whether you can understand the reality or not depends on whether you are willing to ask the right questions. Begin with you. Are you willing to discard your past beliefs? and prejudices. Are you willing to acknowledge that perhaps what you know may no longer be relevant? And this program that I have is addresses addressing these issues with one prime focus, to empower each corporate leader to discover their dominant strengths within to beca- bring out the best in you and give them the distinctive edge to identify anomalies before they become trends and i and i tell them that look forget about triple bottom lines which has seen (laughs) a lot of humor about it let's work on a triple top line of growth profitability and happiness and if you are truly truly aware of what's happening around and how you look at things you will achieve this triple top line and remembering uh, i'm very fond of quoting max planck if you change the way you look at things, the things also change. That
1: sounds like a great program. And if people want to learn more, where would they get the information about that?
2: Well, at the moment, uh, we we have partners in different countries who are promoting it with the boards there, and many of the time those who are our regular clients keep writing to us for such programs. And but I, I think institutions like yours and others whose focus is to, to bring independent directors and boards into the mainstream of change. As I say, you know, let me ask you another question. I ask very often people, do you think you are breathing? But he raises their hand, yes. But I tell them, look, you are not breathing, you are being breathed. If it were you to breathe, each of us would have died long ago. So most of the things, We consider uh, as uh, our attributes of success happen in a continuum because we have the support of lobbying and politicians who make it very, very difficult for anyone even to question the wrongs that we do. So we have a big agenda of correcting it, but the responsibility for correction must start with the corporations. Because if they don't lobby, if they don't offer campaign contributions on the basis of who will support their needs, then politicians will have to change. This is the subject of my next book, actually, where I I am confident that we are on the threshold of a major positive uh, change. And is that government's pressuring
1: the business or the other way around? Other way around.
2: It's the businesses pressuring. The governments, because it is the people who will demand it. Yes, and if I would the agree consumers and the customers stop using the products of those who do not respond to their legitimate needs, something has to give way.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, the stakeholder around the business are getting ever more powerful. Like you say, it is customers, it is activist employees as well. It is even suppliers who, who are pressuring for change. I very much agree with you on that. Yes, yes. Before we go, Ravi, unfortunately, we are almost at the end of the time we have today, but I still have two questions for you, and I'm always very much looking forward asking these. And the first one is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a huge positive impact on either yourself or society, or both in fact?
2: Well, you know, uh, Ratan Tata, undeniably. Uh, I have had the privilege of working with him when I wrote my book. A few institutions presented him the Exceptional Leadership Award because he had all the qualities which are mentioned in my book. And, you know, take, in, take care, for example, in the recent uh, COVID the scenario, Tata Group did not lay off any employees in its airlines, hotels, and auto business, which was severely hit. It only kept the, cut the salaries of the top management. And Ratan Tata had to say, these are the people that have worked for you, served you all their careers, and now send them, and now you send them out to live in the rain? Is this your definition of ethics? And more recently, I've been a great admirer of uh, Emmanuel Faber of the Danone, I thought he was a bright light, really driving in a very committed, earnest way, the agenda of stakeholder capitalism. But how just 6% of equity shareholders sought his removal and not a squeak from the remaining 94 shareholders, including the major shareholders, tells us. That it's not going to be a change they will accept on their own. We will have to do more and more of what we are doing. And convincingly. And I I, I think the Faber story needs to be told in every business school, along with the Tata story. There are many others also, but I think since you asked, I thought of these two right away. On the top of my mind, I keep talking about them all the
1: time. And I'm... Certain that Emmanuel Faber has had a huge impact already on the business community. Yes. yes. And lastly, Ravi, can you give our listeners one advice that they can make part of their everyday sustainable leadership toolkit and basically start applying today to set them up for more positive societal impact?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is a 720 view, if they can start taking that. But uh, on a more generic note, I would say that look, if your mission in life only is to acquire wealth and more and more of it, then anything we say uh, will not matter. Because in any case, wealth cannot give happiness. But if you want wealth and happiness, sustainable wealth, enough for your luxurious lifestyle for the rest of your life and for the next three generations, And if you also want to be happy during this, then remember this uh, uh, very famous quote I am fond of, that if you want uh, happiness for a few hours, take a nap. If you want happiness uh, for a day, then you go and have a a game of golf or tennis or soccer or whatever you like. If you want happiness for a month, get married, the idiom says. I don't (laughs) agree with that, but it says so. If you want... uh, Happiness for many years, then inherit a fortune. But if you want a lifetime of happiness, then make others happy. and they would then be enriched and empowered beyond any imagination that they can think of today. So that my last word would be, if your action as a CEO or a corporate board create more value for others, than for yourself, then you will be the richest people in the world. Riches that count.
1: That's a great closing for our episode today, Robbie. Thank you ever so much for taking the time and coming on. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you so Thank you very much indeed.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.